We're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, it's a brand new series this week, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. This series will, unless something changes on us, will, will basically take us into Easter. And so this will be the series that we're going to be looking at for most, uh, if not all, of March. And it's entitled The Reformer. And, and this is going to be kind of a journey that we're going to take this morning. We're going to have kind of an introduction to the series. We're going to kind of look at a couple things. I want to lay some groundwork for some things that are coming later. But really, it's important that we lay this groundwork so that we kind of see what God wants us to see throughout the whole series. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. We'll be taking the next several weeks looking at basically the life of King Josiah. And we're going to get into that in just a second, but let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. Father, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you and remember and learn about who you are and, and all that you are. And Father, we just ask you to be with us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And really to kind of get this series started, it's really simple. I want to look at a story about a grandfather, a father, and a son. A story of a grandfather, a father, and a son. Because we have to kind of lay this all out. If we don't, we're going to kind of miss some of the amazing things that we actually are going to see later. So let's go ahead and start with the grandfather. We'll start at the top and we'll work our way down. We're going to be in 2 Kings for a while and then we're going to jump over into 2 Chronicles as well. So let's talk about the grandfather. And we're going to have a lot of scripture um, this morning, so if you're going to hold off with me because we're going to tell this story a little bit, so we need to be there. So, 2 Kings 21, starting with verse number 1 and verse number 2, this is what it says. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. This is the grandfather. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years, which is really a long time for that, that period. So he reigned for quite a, lot, a while. His mother was Hezbah, Hepzibah, yeah, Hepzibah. So I don't know if anyone is looking for a, a, a name for a granddaughter or a daughter, but if you'd like Hepzibah, go ahead and do that. Hepzibah was his mother. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. So, so let me give you a little bit of what's going on here. Basically, he reigns for 55 years, and that word detestable, depending on the translation you look at, um, it, they use some different words, but detestable really just means just absolute. I mean, think of the worst things or the worst word when you describe something, and that's basically what that word meant detestable and basically it goes even further and says listen he starts doing the detestable things that the people were doing in the promised land before God drives them out okay drives them out let's continue second kings 21 verses 4 and 6 he built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord the place where the Lord had said my name will remain in Jerusalem forever he built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards. And verse number six, of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination. And he counseled with medians and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight 
arousing his anger. Now let's talk about really what's going on here, okay? Because now we're getting a little bit more in depth of what the despicable things this guy was doing. He literally goes into God's temple. This is Solomon's temple. And he places in there altars to other gods. In, in the translation, says God of heavens or something like that. They basically make this simple. That's God with a little g. Got it? Little g gods. And he sets these things up in God's temple. And then he literally, and this is part of some of the pagan worship that was driven out from the promised land, he literally kills his own son. He sacrifices his own son. This is who this guy is. Okay? And, and let's continue. 2 Kings 21, verses 9 and 11. Okay? But the people... Now, let me, let me kind of give you a little bit of background where it says where the people refuse to listen. Basically, God begins to send some prophets and things like that to try to get the people to realize this isn't okay. But the people refuse to listen. And Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel had entered the land. Let's stop there for a second. So now what we see is this guy has not only taken them to the level of the people that were there that were driven out, he's exceeded it. I want you to think about that, okay? The people that God had said, nope, you need to be removed from this area because of your evilness and because of the horrible, terrible, despicable things that you're doing. This king led the people above it, okay? So he is leading them past that. Now, then the, verse number 10, then the Lord said through his servants, the prophets, King Manasseh of Judah has done many, again, detestable things. He is even more wicked than the Amorites who lived in the land before Israel. He has caused the people of Judah to sin with his idols. And now let's go on to 2 Kings 21, verse 16. Manasseh, and this is kind of the one last thing. Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. I don't know who your grandfather was, but I don't think he's as bad as this guy. This guy is literally, some theologians believe, is literally the worst king that they ever had. We usually think about the worst king, oh, maybe that was Ahab, or maybe it was this. This is probably the guy. This is the grandfather. This is the legacy that he is leaving to next, who we're going to talk about is the father. So let's look now at the father. 2 Kings 21, verse 19a, it says, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for only two years. Only two years. Now, now we're going to figure out why he only reigns for two years. Let's jump now to verses 20 and 22. It says, he did evil, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father Manasseh had done. He followed, this is important guys, he followed the example of his father. Okay, totally off the top, I mean really not off the topic, but something, can I, parents, grandparents, okay, your kids are watching. Your kids are watching. What example are you showing them? And I, listen, and I, I, 
church is great and that's important. What example are, they, are you showing them at 6.30 Wednesday, or Tuesday night when you're frustrated with life? Okay? What example? Okay? He followed the example of his father, worshiping the same idols his father had worshipped. He abandoned the Lord. Boy, what a statement. Okay? He abandoned the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and he refused to follow the Lord's ways. He refused to follow the Lord's ways. Now let's continue. 2 Kings 21, 23-24. Then Ammon's own officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. This is why he only reigned for two years. But the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and they made his son Josiah the next king. So here's where we're at, okay? We've, we, this is not the, 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 the Christian postcard family, okay? King Manasseh is a mess. He is a total wreck. For 55 years, he has literally, from the inside out, destroyed Judah and, and turned them away from God, turned them to despicable practices such as child sacrifice. He's literally killed innocent people to the point where it says that the blood is just filling the streets. This guy is a mess. This guy is the leader for 55 years. Finally, he dies. And you've got to believe there were some people probably upset about that. And there were some people who were like, okay, thank you, Lord. He's now gone. So now what do they do? They bring in King Ammon. And King Ammon does some of the exact same things. He follows the example. He's walking in his father's footsteps. So much so that there's finally some people that go, you know what? we got to do something about it. And they assassinate him. And you would think that the people would have gone, oh, thank goodness, we got rid of him. But they don't. They go find the guys that killed the king and they kill them. Why would they do that? I think because they were a little upset the king died. Probably most people were pretty happy with the way things were going, as disgusting and despicable as they were. So that brings us to the sun. Now, just so you know, anytime you come to me in the next couple weeks and complain about your family, I will remind you of this one, okay? I'm teasing. Families can be hard. But now let's look at the sun. Let's look at the sun. We're going to go now to 2 Chronicles 34. Really, the majority of our series is going to be taken from 2 Chronicles 34. So let's look at verse number one. It says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 30 one years. He becomes the king as an eight-year-old. Okay? If you want to visualize this, he's not quite eight yet. Okay? Easton is seven and a half. He will be eight in July. I want you to imagine for me with a second that we have just decided that what, whatever, blah, 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 you know, I'm not going to get into it, but basically some things have happened and now Easton Lawrence Nash is president of the United States of America. You put the key, you know, the, you know, the crown on his head, it falls off to the side. It's too big. He's sitting there going, okay, I'm king. So does that mean I can just go play Legos whenever I want? Do I get all the Legos? I get all the, I mean, yeah. Eight-year-old. He has become the king of a nation. 
Now, to understand a little bit about this, let's look. What was the condition of Judah when this eight-year-old became king? What was the condition? I've, I got four things. These are in your notes. Number one, the nation was entrenched in pagan idol worship. Entrenched. Not like they were dabbling in it. Not that it was like sort of kind of these things. It is firmly entrenched to the point where basically the temple, well, let's move on to number two. They had defiled the temple. They had basically done one of the worst possible things you could do to the temple of God. That's what they had done under these two men before King Josiah. Number three, there had just been an assassination at the highest position of government. This is the guy. I mean, we talk about the president. We understand the president in our mindset. This is, this is the king. This is the president, the Senate, the House, uh, the Supreme Court, all rolled up into one, if this will make sense. He is the supreme leader of everything, both economically, spiritually, um, the country, everything is wrapped up in this one guy, and now he's assassinated. He's assassinated, number four. And all of these things, one, two, and three, really lead into number four. The nation was in chaos. Absolute moral chaos, spiritual chaos, all of it. I mean, you, you think about a place that could be more messed up, and what do we do? Ladies and gentlemen, your eight-year-old. Your eight-year-old becomes king. Now, we're going to look a little bit deeper into King Josiah. So let's look at 2 Chronicles 34.2. He becomes king, and this is what it says. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Eight-year-old. Eight-year-old who, listen, had absolutely no example at home. What was grandpa like? What was dad like? And what's interesting here is you looked at Amon and it basically said he followed the example of his father. Here what we see is Josiah follows someone else's example. It says in our translation we're looking at this morning, ancestor. In other translation it literally says he followed the example of his father, David. Now obviously David's not his father. Maybe he's, you know, obviously he's maybe his great, 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 great. I mean, this is several hundred years after David has lived and died. But we see this situation here. We see him not following the example of his earthly father in a lot of ways, but someone else. The question I have for all of us is whose example are we really following? Which father are we following in our lives? Let's continue. 2 Chronicles 34, 3a. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. We're going to keep moving here. 2 Chronicles 34, 3b. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. Now, 
we're going to get in the next several weeks much more deeper into this thing. But remember, this is kind of some of the groundwork. So we begin to see some amazing things here. We begin to see at the age of very, very young, God began to moving and working. And as I was studying about this and looking at this series, I was reading a commentary. And one of the commentaries said that, that, that they, they assumed, you know, they don't know for sure, but they, they made an assumption. And they said, you know, it's kind of interesting that, that the grandfather, you know, reigned for like 53 or 55 years. I can't remember off the top of my head. And, but, and then Josiah's father only reigned for two. And he speculated, he was, I wonder if God allowed his father to be assassinated because God literally looked at this little boy and said, you, you know what, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you influence him. I'm not going to let you ruin him. I have great plans for this little boy. And so he was removed. Kind of an interesting thought. And again, we're going to get a lot more deeper over this in the next couple of weeks. But this morning, as, as, as we look at some of these things, I, I want to study this section before we close the out. So let's, let's look at the parallels this morning. Let's look at the parallels between where the stories are. And, and here's the thing, and this is in your notes, and I believe this. Our world today is very similar to the, war, the world excuse me, that King Josiah inherited from his grandfather and father. It's very similar. Now, we may see some slightly different applications, but I see a lot of things that look very, very similar between the world of Judah during this time and our world that we live in today. Look at 2 Timothy 3. In 2 Timothy 3, we see this important verse that Paul writes to this young pastor, and this is what it says. You should know this, Timothy. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Can, can we stop for just a second? I, I love you guys I so, so terribly much. But I, you need to hear something here. This does not say things are going to get easier for us as Christians. Okay? I, I know we love this thought of, of comfy, cozy. But this is not what Scripture says. We need to understand that. Things are going to get hard. Things are going to get difficult. We need to prepare and be ready for those things. Now remember, Paul is writing this thousands of years before we're talking about it today. But listen to what he says. There will be very difficult times for people. Here's why things will be so hard. People will love only themselves and their money. <laughs> they will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Isn't that interesting? That John felt led by the Holy Spirit to take a moment to be thankful this morning. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And he goes one step, he says, stay away from people like that. Very similar, isn't it? 
And, and here's the thing. We, we could all say, well, well, sure, Aaron, but, but that, was, that was what people were like 100 years ago. I, I, I don't disagree with that. But I will say this. I do believe we have seen a growth of that type of behavior like we've never seen before. I mean, that's our world. That, 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 let's be more personal. That's America. That's where we're at. This is the moment that not only King Josiah found himself in, the climate that he became king in, this is the climate that we live in today. This is our world today as well. So let's look at the final thing. The title of our, our series is The Reformer. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I want to take us through a quick journey of the process that, that Josiah begins to move on just so you can have a greater understanding when we get into each of these a little bit more in depth. And it's important that you catch this. So let's look here at the process. Number one, when Josiah was eight, he begins to reign. When he's eight, he becomes king. He becomes the man. He becomes a guy that has so much control and so much authority, even to the point where we saw with his father and his grandfather that he has the option to lead people one way or lead people a different way. He begins that at eight years old. Number two, when Josiah is 16, he begins to seek God. He begins to seek God. That is so vital to who we are as a people. We desire God to do great things. We desire God to change our world and change us. And you know what? We sometimes forget that the first part of that is to seek after God, to learn who he is, to understand, to grow in our walk with him. So at 16, he begins to seek God. He begins to look to God. He begins to look at those things. Next, when Josiah is 20, he begins to purge. The Bible says, and we're going to talk about this next week, he begins to purge the idols. He begins to destroy them. It's amazing the level that he goes to. We'll talk about it next week. If you want to check ahead, go ahead. But, you know, like, he doesn't just like, oh, look, there's a statue of an idol. We're going to get rid of it. I mean, he goes all out. I love it. But he begins to purge the kingdom. He begins to remove things. Listen, a lot of times in our world and in our life, we don't like the concept of purging, okay? It's, it's, listen, it's, it's about ready to be spring cleaning time, okay? You have a choice when it comes to spring cleaning time. You can clean your house or you can purge your house. They are not the same. To clean is to basically clean the stuff you have and dust it and put it back and all those things. To purge means that you go in and you literally remove things from your house. There's a difference. And for some of us, we want to live our lives where we just want to clean the idols up. Make them a little more palatable. Make them look a little nicer. Make them look a little more spiritual. Make a little more excuses about why we have those areas in our life when God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to purge those things. At 20, he begins to purge. And check this out. When Josiah is 26, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but go with me. The entire nation has been changed. The entire nation. Again, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but look with me in 2 Chronicles 35. 
This is what it says. Never, this is, this is when he's 26 years old, guys. Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel, none, David, Solomon, think of all the kings that you can think of, none of them had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did. He involved all of the priests and the Levites, all the people of Jerusalem and people from all over Judah and Israel. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. Remember, we talked about this earlier, how his, especially his grandfather led all the people to do these despicable things. Here we have this young man, still young, 26 years old, who has literally, with the help of God, has literally transformed the entire nation to where every single individual is worshiping and remembering God. Think about that, folks. And listen, please, do not give me this, well, you know, it's a different time, and, and he was king, and, and, and I'm, 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 just, I'm just this. Listen, God doesn't look at us and go, well, yeah, you know, you're right, you know, Josiah was king, he had a little bit more, you know, he, you know I could use him more than that. No, no, no. If God can use Josiah to change literally his nation, he can use us. He can use us. And listen, do not listen to that lie of the enemy that says you can't or you shouldn't or you don't have this or you don't have that. This eight-year-old boy began a process and a journey that transformed his entire nation. And God, listen to me, God has called every single one of us to do the same. Do you realize that? Do you realize the depth of your calling? What, people online, do you understand the depth of your calling? Do you understand the power of your calling? Do you understand that with God, all things are possible? Oh, but Aaron, look at our world. Oh, Aaron, it's just so... Really? God could do it. God did it once with an eight-year-old. How old are you? How old are you? Listen, why do I harp about our kids and our youth? Because it starts when the kids are children and youth. And it changed the whole nation. It literally... His reforms, his changes that we're going to talk about in the next couple weeks, did it all, changed it all. This is in your notes. Um, and I put it here, it's a little lengthy. I don't usually put quite such big sentences here, but um, you need to understand this because this is really the point of the entire series, okay? As we get into this, this is the point. I'm giving it to you first week, okay, so that we don't forget it. But this is the point, it's in your notes. Listen. I really, truly believe this. If we learn to lead ourselves, it starts there. We lead ourselves, lead our families, and lead our church. After the life and leadership of King Josiah, 
I believe that we will see a renewing and a reviving of our children, youth, marriages, family, church, and community. I believe with everything in me. I believe it with everything in me. If we can understand and follow the example of King Josiah, I truly believe that God can do anything and God can change anything. You go, oh, but Aaron, our world is just a chaos mess. Our world is falling apart. And I go, yep, it is. I do not disagree with that. The problem is, is I truly believe that our God is bigger than the chaos. Our God can handle any situation, and I truly believe this. I think we are waiting, we're on the precipice. Like, we are right here, we are right on the edge, and we have a decision as a, as a country to make. I truly believe that God wants to bring forth a change and a revival, not only in this country, but in this world, that we have never, ever, ever seen. And we have a choice right now, as the people of God, to either say, okay, God... I'm going for it, or you know what, God, it's not worth it. It's too hard. The, the seats are too comfortable, and the air conditioning's too nice. I'm not doing it. You see, it's amazing to me what God wants to do, and that God will look at us and say, do you want to partner with me or not? But I believe that if we can learn these things, if we can apply these things. And again, I put this in order on purpose. In ourselves first, it starts in you and me. Because otherwise, we're just nothing but a bunch of, you know, noise and hypocrites. It's got to start here. Okay? It starts here. When you get that and you're working on that, then it's your family. It's your family. You know, wife, husband, kids, grandparents, aunts, uncles, even those friends that you call close, you, you begin to lead those people in those things. And then it just naturally goes over into the church. And we begin to work and live our lives as a family of believers that way. And when we do that, I literally think it'll change everything. And you go, oh, Aaron, it's so big. We, 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 it's just so much. Hey, listen. It's interesting where I started the same thing on the, on, on the other side of this. Children, youth, marriages, family, churches, and community. It just goes and goes and goes. It's like the dominoes that just keep falling down. The problem is, is unfortunately for us, sometimes we take the domino out and then we look at the dominoes and go, fall! Why won't they fall? God, why won't you make them fall? But I believe that God wants to do Something absolutely incredible. I mean, I want you to stop, and I don't know if you've done this, and, and if you haven't, it's completely cool. But if you ever go back and you begin to study the revivals and the awakenings and whatever you want to call those things, I, I truly believe this. If you took all of those together, and I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about starting day of Pentecost, starting. That was, that was a great awakening. And you put them all together. Think of every, everyone you can think of. Azuzu Street, Great Awakening, Wesley, all of it. You put them all together into one. I still believe, hear me here, that God wants to do something greater today than all of those put together.
I truly believe it. And I want to be part of that. I want our church to get busy and be a part of the reformation that God wants to do. I want us all to be called the reformers in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in our community. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. Like I said earlier, this is kind of just an introduction. I wanted to kind of give you some background over the next three weeks or so, leading up to Easter, <clears throat> we're going to, um, excuse me, we're going to look a little bit more in depth about the reforms of King Josiah. We're going to look and see what he did. We're going to look and see how to apply those to our lives. We're going we're gonna to look, and if you want to read ahead, I, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34. We're not going to cover it all, but look at it, read it. We're going to be there for the next month because I truly believe that if we can become the reformers that King Josiah was, we can change everything. Listen, we sometimes have these thoughts where we look at maybe our family or ourselves or our church um, maybe this church, maybe the church as a whole, our country, our, 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 our communities, all these things, and we just go, oh, it's just so big. How do, what do I do? How do I move into that? We all want to do those things. We all want God to change and bring those reforms, but it's, sometimes it's hard to know what the first step is. Over the next month, we're going to look at it and hear my heart on this. I believe that if you... And if I will follow these things, follow the example, things will be revolutionized. I believe it. I believe it. You go, but Aaron, I'm just a guy. I'm just a, just a person. I'm just a girl. I'm just, can I really? Yeah, yeah, you really can you really can't. You know, so many of us, we, we always come up with the excuses of why we can't. Well, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Neither was King Josiah. <laughs> I didn't have a good example. Neither did King Josiah. I didn't have a, a dad or a, or a father that loved me or took care of me or, or taught me the right things. Neither did King Josiah. Whatever excuse you got, God will look at you and say the same thing to you as me. I, you can do all things through me, with me. All things. All things. Now think about that. Because we're going to pray in just a moment. An eight-year-old. An eight-year-old who decides you know what? I'm not okay with where our world is. I, I, I'm not okay with the things that I'm seeing. This isn't okay. This isn't acceptable anymore. It's time to change. It's time to be the difference. It's time, folks, to be the light and the salt that God has called us to be.
He started at eight. With the most wretched examples that I think anybody probably has ever had. And by 26, God working through him, it was like a different world. It was like a different world. And here's what's awesome. <laughs> and hear me in this. There's a bunch of Josiahs in this room right now. They're all, they're, they're, oh my goodness. They're all over the place. Because see, I, I know you. And I know what God can do through you. And we're going to look at some people in Josiah's life that, that encouraged him and helped him, that kind of became that dad or father to him. And, 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 and here's the thing. He had some cheerleaders. He had some people that were cheering him on to go after the things of God and to bring forth the change that needed to happen. And I want to be that for you. And I need you to be that for me too. But I believe in you. I know we can do this. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that says you can't. You can. Is it going to be scary? Yeah, things are going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. For King Josiah, he could have been like so many other kings and just followed the example of his father and his grandfather who literally led the entire nation into so many despicable things that they were actually worse than the kingdoms that you drove out to give the children of Israel the promised land. That's bad. I could have spent plenty of time talking about those things, but it just, it was bad. That's where your people were when you brought an eight-year-old to the throne. And when you did, and he began to seek your face, and he began to call out to the God of his father David, and he began to look to you, things began to happen. Things began to change. Things were transformed. The reforms that he brought literally changed a nation. This nation, this community, these families, these people, it is not too late for you to come and literally turn the world upside down. And Father, that's what we need. That's what I'm praying for. And it starts with us. Just like it started with one little boy. And so, Father, as we look at these things, as we study these things. Father, I pray that there would just be a spirit of encouragement, a spirit of courage, a spirit of determination, a spirit of hope, a spirit of knowing that you're in control, knowing what you want and going after it like we have never experienced in our lives before. And that we choose, we choose to not necessarily walk in the way of our fathers, but we choose to walk in the ways of our heavenly Father. We love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a closing chorus.
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, before we close, um, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray against the spirit of inadequacy. I just feel like God's spirit is telling me that some of you have had fathers or people in the place of a father, whether that be a pastor or an uncle or a mother, Someone above you, boss, teacher, I don't, I don't know, but I just know. And, and they have spoken words of curses and inadequacy over you. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in you. I don't love you. You're worthless those types of words that have been spoken over you it may have happened 50 years ago it may have happened five days ago but there is still that covering of curse and inadequacy over your life and right now god is literally speaking to you as an individual i am now speaking against that curse where the enemy has meant to bring curses 
I now proclaim blessing. I now proclaim healing. I now proclaim an under an overwhelming sense of purpose, an overwhelming sense of peace, knowing that I have called you. You are mine. You belong to me. No one can identify or tell you who you are because they did not make you. They did not form you in their mother's womb. I did. So what I say has more weight. It has more authority. And I say you are mine. You are blessed. You you are you are a child of the king you are a son you are a daughter you are healed you have the ability to do great things in my name and for my purpose my father right now we ask that you wipe away you you purge those feelings of inadequacy those lies from the pit of hell that have been spoken by people. And Father, in their place, your words, your blessing, your calling. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I know and I believe because I know you've spoken to my heart that we are we are at the edge and it is time to decide are we going to be a King Manasseh a King Amon or are we going to be a King Josiah and Father I pray that all of us will choose to walk in the ways of King Josiah. We love you. We thank you. You're so good. We ask that you would just be with us as we go. Thank you for this time. Use us this week in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much for being here so much. Listen, be here the next couple of weeks. I think this is an important series for us as a church and an important series for us moving forward as we lead into Easter. Be here. If you're online, be here online, whatever it takes, okay? I love y'all. It's good to see y'all. All that you're online, we miss you. We love you. We hope you see you soon. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.